Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is, as always, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Today we're going to talk about um, the ninth episode of Buffy called The Puppet Show. So if this is your first time tuning in to my supplemental Buffy podcast, I am doing a project wherein I am watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after it originally aired. So May 5th of 1997, this episode aired for the very first time. So um, I'm not sure exactly what to say about this episode because it's, um, oh, and by the way, I am not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. So, um, I, at any point, will just start talking about like season six or whatever. So I am coming from the assumption that you are a fan of Buffy and you've seen the entire series. Um, and if you would like to follow along with me, um, if you're a person that's watching it for the first time and isn't scared of spoilers, um, it's on Hulu. It's no longer on Netflix, but it's on Hulu, and it's probably at your local library. The DVDs are all, they've been out so long at this point, you could probably find them used for 5 or $10 per season, I would think. And since this um, project is going to take me seven years to complete, since there were seven seasons of Buffy, it would um, be very low cost for you to buy a 5 or $10 season once a year <laughs> um, to follow along with me should you choose to do that in that way. Um, I guess I could start with, um, hey, let me know. Are you watching Buffy with me? Whenever um, I'm talking about the episodes, are you just having them in your memory as a reference point? Or did you watch it recently so that you could follow along with me? Or are you just not really that interested in Buffy, but you like hearing about it from someone who's super obsessed with it? Like, um, what is your, um, reason for listening to this podcast? I guess, um, I would definitely love to hear critiques too, because since this is still just season one of Buffy that I'm watching, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring out how to structure this. Uh, I might eventually add, you know, more production value. I might not. I don't know. I'm a booger queen. So um, let me know your critiques and um, compliments and critiques. So you could do that by leaving me an iTunes review for What's This Bitch Talking About podcast. Or you could send me an email at mixtressradio at gmail.com, which is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-D-I-O. Um, and I'm also Mixtress Ray, Ray spelled R-A-E. Um, on pretty much all the social media platforms, except the ones that I don't do. <laughs> so I'm Mixtress Ray on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I also have um, Mixtress Radio has a Facebook page, which is my radio show that I do every Friday. But you can also just contact me there, of course, because it's just me. So um, that's all that business shit out of the way. So let's talk about... The Puppet Show. This is the ninth episode of Buffy. The general plot is that there is um, the new Principal Snyder. This is the introduction of the character Pr Principal Snyder, played by Armin Shimmerman, who was the um, was a Ferengi on Next Generation of Star Trek, and also he was a, more of a main character in Deep Space Nine. Um, 
Okay, so it's the introduction of Principal Snyder, and he is forcing Giles to be the, like, faculty in charge of the talent show at Sunnydale High. And um, he also forces Xander, Willow, and Buffy to be in the talent show. <laughs> and so, uh, trying not to make commentary yet. <laughs> so um, there's a ventriloquist act, and the dummy they're suspecting is alive, and there are a bunch of deaths, like someone has cut out someone's heart, someone is taking someone's brain, um, and they suspect that it is the dummy. The dummy is, in fact, alive, but the episode ends with you find out that um, the dummy is actually has been cursed to be, it's a human, a demon slayer. I, I don't know, was he a demon slayer before he became a puppet? I don't know, whatever. Um, he's a demon slayer that was cursed to live inside the body of a dummy. And um, he has, by like these seven demons, he's got like these seven demons that are after him and he has to kill all of the demons in order to be freed from the dummy's body. But since he should have been dead, Decades ago, if he had lived out his regular life as a human, as soon as he kills, he has one left, one demon left that he has to kill. So he's already killed seven. Um, and these particular demons are like trying to be human by getting the heart and brain and other things from humans or something. I don't know. It's, the plot is a little contrived and confusing to me. But... Um, Anyway, so he has one demon left to kill, and he at first suspects that Buffy is the last demon that he needs to kill. So at first he's after Buffy, um, and then he finds out that she's just a slayer. Like, he suspected that she was a demon because she was so strong, I guess. Um, so he does find that one of the other contestants in the talent show is the last demon that he needs to kill. So at the end, when he kills the last demon, he just... His soul leaves the dummy, I guess, and he's dead because his actual body has been long dead, decades dead. Um, so that's the entire plot of this episode. This is one of those episodes that I um, unfoundingly, if that's a word, dread because I'm, I don't like the whole animated puppy, puppet horror trope thing. I can't do a chucky horror movie but um i as i have been with almost every episode of this first season of buffy that i dread just by looking at the title um like teacher's pet like i thought that was going to be one of the worst episodes ever but i actually you know enjoyed it like when you think of these things like i've said many times before if you think of these episodes like you know just enjoyable b movies B horror movies. They they're fun, you know. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised with this one too. This is one of the ones I was kind of dreading, um, and I'm still creeped out by puppets. But hey, that's the whole point. Like being creeped out by a ventriloquist dummy is a thing that a lot of people share, and so it can easily be a horror trope. And I think this episode does it pretty well for the most part. In the continuing saga of no school is like this, <laughs> um, there's a lot of moments in this episode that are like, seriously, seriously, 
Like, no, it wouldn't be like this. First of all, your principal can't force you to be in a talent show because obviously this is, an, this is an extracurricular activity. Um, and then there's just all this other stuff like when the ballerina in the talent show was killed for her heart and her heart was cut out, like the police are never involved, like Joyce doesn't seem to know. I, I forget if she mentioned something about it because there was one scene with Joyce in it where she just sort of like asked Buffy, is everything okay? <laughs> like you seem, you seem distracted. And I don't know what they're referring to here. Like it's possible that she didn't tell her mom about the death at the school and no one else told her either because, hey, Sunnydale deaths at school happen all the time. And she was just distracted because, you know, she wasn't able to save that girl. I don't know if they were getting at maybe she has been distracted lately because she's still in love with Angel and they're just sort of planting that little seed since Angel's not in this episode. He wasn't in the last episode nor this episode. And I don't know if he's in the next one either. I'm not sure. Maybe. I would assume he would be in the next episode. I don't think they'd spend this long without Angel being in any episodes. I don't know. It's interesting. Just side note. It's really interesting to watch these episodes of Buffy actually a week apart. You know, like it was originally airing. Um... Because I'm used to, you know, binging it. <laughs> Even though um, when I first watched it, I didn't start watching until season three. But when I first started watching it, I was watching it in real time. But um, I've never seen the first two seasons like this, I don't think. I mean, I, I wish I could remember how and when I saw the first two seasons. Um, because I assume that I got caught up on the first and second seasons sometime around when I first started watching the third season, if they were already playing reruns. But I really, I don't know. Did I buy the DVDs? I, yeah, anyway, whatever. I don't remember how I consumed, how and when I consumed the first two seasons for the first time. Because, um, yeah, I, I just don't know. But it's really kind of fun doing it this way, you know? Like stretching it out like this makes it feel more real because I spend, you know, an entire week thinking about the next episode and doing research for that episode, only that episode. So it's like just that one episode is the thing that consumes me. Um, with the exception of, like I've said before, my mom and I are watching season six right now as well, which Season six, as you may or may not know if you've seen Buffy before, is the most emotionally upsetting, the most jarring, the most gut-wrenching season of Buffy. And we went straight from the episode Seeing Red to me the next day watching Puppet Show. <laughs> so um, if you know anything about Seeing Red, that is probably the most upsetting Buffy episode of all time, I would say. I don't want to go into it because then I'll talk about seeing red this whole time and we're supposed to be talking about the puppet show. So anyway, they're forced to be in the talent show and um, 
Yeah, there's just so many moments where you're like, uh, I don't think it would really go like this. But the things that were really fun about this episode, um, I really enjoyed that um, most of the scenes, like, for example, in the last episode, um, I Robot You Jane, almost every scene was set in the library, which is a really fun setting. But this particular episode, almost every scene is set in the auditorium. So that gave me flashbacks of some of my better memories of school um, whenever I used to be in band and I was one of the kids that like would hang out after school in the auditorium and you know I would have been um, a theater kid probably um, I don't know if Michael and I mentioned this on the minute I don't think we do I think we were talking about this when um, I wasn't recording but like we both sort of had a discussion like we should have been theater kids, but we weren't theater kids because of one motherfucking teacher. One teacher that didn't like eccentric kids teaching drama. Like, what? Who are you? This bitch was not open to alternative kids at all. And so she she was kind of the reason that we both were turned off from that. Like, we both tried to take drama in high school. Like, I mean, I took the first like the introductory drama class. And if there had been a teacher that encouraged me and like let me channel my weirdness into theater slash drama ways, then I could have gone further with that. But she was, she was one of the teachers that would send me to the principal's office because my makeup was too, too dramatic. She was the reason that I got like a week of in-school detention, which I think I've told that story before, but it's not, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she didn't, I didn't directly get a week of in-school detention because of my makeup, but when she sent me to the office, I forged a signature when I came back saying that I went to the office when I really didn't. So that's what I got in-school suspension for, or detention. And that was I, I mean, I got detention all the time, but I think that was the time that my Walkman got stolen from my backpack. One of the times I got a week and in school, in school detention was that happened. So I don't know, whatever. Anyway, this one particular teacher who I see all the time at the library, I don't think she remembers me, but she was the direct reason for both Michael and me not being theater kids because we totally would have been theater kids especially Michael because he's a drama queen <laughs> um anyway um I feel like overall this episode I, I did find it very enjoyable um oh let's let me keep continue my thought of like all the setting being in the auditorium it was really fun to see the setting being in, in the auditorium because it looked like a real school's auditorium. I mean, it probably was shot in a real school. Um, it just had that same feel, you know, it just, you could almost like smell the school auditorium. <laughs> and I like how they, I just am constantly surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm just constantly, I guess not surprised, but in awe of the, the way that this show is shot. It's, it's shot so dark and, um, just, I, it's so good. It's just so good. I like the way they, um, 
and I mentioned this in the minute with Michael, but um, I like the way that they, like, whenever they were in the auditorium, like, often it would be um, Giles, Buffy, Willow, and Xander just sitting in the auditorium, like, having exposition scenes while they, I mean, they essentially were doing research, the research slash exposition scenes that would be done in the library are all done with them just sort of sitting in the auditorium chairs because Giles is supposed to be like putting together the talent show which is another thing that's like um this is not how a talent show works you know people practice their shit at home and then they have probably a dress rehearsal and then they have like a regular talent show but this was like being rehearsed as if it was a play sort of um, so I don't think that is realistic because they were constantly like practicing and going over things for like a week or two, I'm assuming. I don't know. It was a, it was a very put together talent show. Like they were, they were serious about it. Um, anyway, I, I like how they did the shots with, um, with everybody in the chairs, just the way that they shot them was visually interesting. Like they'd have... Like, there was one scene where Buffy and Giles are sitting right next to each other, and then um, Xander is, like, a seat over and a row behind, and Willow is, like, a seat over and another row behind or something like that. And it just, it was visually interesting, even though that's not how people would actually sit. <laughs> and I think, yeah, sorry, I'm going to mention that again when you hear that minute later. But I feel like this episode overall is not super on board with girl power. Just let me look up who wrote and directed this episode. The writers were Rob Day Hotel and Dean Batali, and the director was Ellen Pressman. That is surprising to me because I looked it up. Um, it's been a few weeks, and I haven't told you guys about it yet, um, but I looked up episodes of Buffy that were directed by men versus women, and it was almost completely men directors. So I'm surprised that, because I had this feeling when I was watching it that like, so Buffy is super scared of, I'm surprised that it's a woman that directed it is what I'm getting at. Because I feel like um, Buffy was very subdued in this episode. She was, she was very, like they set it up in the beginning that she is creeped out by dummies. Um, she is not on board with the puppets and they show her being like visibly like un at unease and like freaked out by this dummy. And at first, like people are always underestimating her. Like she has to say, um, you know, she's bringing her shit like, okay, there's a night where the dummy is in her bedroom and he like tries to attack her because at this point he thinks that she's the last demon that he needs to slay so he can be freed. And um, you hear like the little pitter patter of the dummy feet on the floor in Buffy's room, which is whoa, so creepy. But anyway, she is like super freaked out by it and she tells everybody the next day and um, they're all like, well, you did say you were scared of dummies. You probably just had a nightmare, Buffy. Calm down. And she has to say to them, can I get a little support here? I'm not just some crazy person. I'm the slayer. Which is like, yeah. 
like they're always underestimating her. She's always like wigged out by something and like she always like knows that something is wrong before everyone else does. And they always don't believe her at first. Like she's never been wrong about something that she's creeped out about. Like she doesn't just think that there's danger somewhere where it isn't. Like there's never a precedent of her thinking there's danger somewhere where it isn't. So, but anyway, um, her like fight scenes and stuff And this, there's this one point where like a chandelier drops on her and she really struggles getting it off of her, which I find a little like, uh, I don't know if that's right. And like, I don't know. It's just, it seems like this episode in general is not on board with her being a super powerful slayer. I don't know, like not completely. It's just a little bit of like, Hey, why are they having, I get that she's scared of dummies, but why are they having her be so ineffectual? So I, I find that odd that this was directed by a woman because there really aren't that many in the series as a whole that are directed by women. So I'm surprised that one where I feel like girl power is not really observed as much. I don't know. Maybe this chick is overcompensating. That she thinks she needs to, like, be with the dudes. But, um, I don't know. Anyway. So I find that a little odd. Okay, I had to go get my stats because can't mention that and then not follow through. So I actually went through... I'm surprised I haven't mentioned this yet because I did this weeks ago. Like, a month ago, even, maybe. Um, I went through all of the episodes and tallied how many throughout the entire series of Buffy have been directed by women and there are only six, six episodes in the entire 144 episode run of Buffy, a feminist girl power show. Only six of the episodes are directed by women. So this is one of the six. So that is, I guess it is a good time to mention this because I think this is the first episode that is directed by a woman. So let's, let's check and see. Of course, the first two episodes were directed by Joss. Third episode, someone named Stephen Craig. Fourth episode, Bruce Seth Green, who's a regular director. David Samel on Never Kill a Boy in the First Date. Bruce Seth Green on The Pack. Ugh, have him to blame for The Pack, you guys. Blame Bruce, Bruce Seth Green for The Pack. Um, Angel was directed by Scott Brazil. I'm kind of surprised about that. I figured Joss would have directed that episode. <laughs> Stephen Posey, I Robot Eugene. Okay, so yeah, this is the first episode of Buffy that's directed by a woman, and there will only be five more the entire fucking series, you guys. So I'll probably point it out every time. There's, like, some regular writers of Buffy, like Marty Knoxon and Jane Espenson, um, that are, like main writers of Buffy, like Marty Noxon was the, uh, showrunner in season six. So, um, like Joss was out at that point, he was done. Um, so I mean, there are women involved behind the scenes of Buffy, but not usually directing, which is, which is a shame. It's a shame. Okay. So let's move on from that. Um, so no angel for two episodes now, but we do get Cordelia again in this episode, which I know makes a lot of people happy. Like Cordelia is a favorite for a lot of people and I like her for sure. I like her, but, um, 
I, I don't like how everyone is just relentlessly cruel to her. But, like, just taking that thought process a step further, she can take it, and she's cruel to them, too. So it's just sort of the way that you interact with Cordelia is with snide comments and whatever. Like, there's this scene with Xander where he's just acting, like, over-the-top frustrated by just having to talk to Cordelia. Because <laughs> he's, like, I don't know, interviewing her or something to try to get more information about who could possibly be... I, they're talking to people about Morgan, the the kid that is the um, the owner of the ventriloquist dummy, which I haven't really mentioned him yet. I want to give him like a little bit of a shout out. The actor here, let me see, I wrote down his name, Richard Werner. Um, he doesn't seem to have been in a lot of stuff. Like he doesn't even have a picture on IMDb, but I was really impressed by the casting of this kid because he was actually doing the ventriloquism for this dummy during the episode. You can tell, like, you can sort of tell that he's doing it, but he's really good at it. And his, the introductory scene of the character of Morgan was really kind of impressive because they were having, he was on stage, like, practicing his act for the talent show. And he starts out, like, being, like, really, really terrible at ventriloquism. And then suddenly it, it switches to what is actually supposed to be the dummy and his real voice, but he's actually doing it. So everybody thinks that that's part of their act, that like, you know, they start off bad and then um, it gets good. And it's it's just a good scene. It's a good introduction for this character. And I was really impressed that it wasn't, you know, like some trick th that this kid was actually doing the ventriloquism. And, um, or if he wasn't, he looked convincing because he was making the same sort of like movements that ventriloquists make. I mean, I'm not an expert, but <laughs> it looked like he was really doing it. So major props to Richard Werner for that. Um, and he was, he was a compelling character. I think he really brought it in the, um, I mean, for just being a one-off character in a show because spoiler alert, he dies during this episode. Um, I, I think, you know, he just, he did a really good job and brought it with this role and, you know, the casting was really good for him anyway. Um, so anyway, um, so while Xander is talking to Cordelia, he's just like, just like, I don't, he's so frustrated with just having to talk to her. And I find that a bit tiresome, just the way that they treat Cordelia. I find it a bit tiresome, but again... She can take it. So, like, they don't ever portray her throughout the series of Buffy and throughout the series of Angel that she's on almost the entire run of Angel as well, which was a show that last, the spinoff lasted about five years. Or yeah, it did last, it lasted five seasons. So they never, ever, ever portray Cordelia as being, um, like insecure or not able to take criticisms like she's she's always been like I don't know kind of self-actualized almost like even though she's like the mean girl the bitch and she's like mean to everybody she I don't know she keeps people on their toes she doesn't take shit from anybody like there's even an episode later on I think it's in season 
Maybe it's two. But it's, um, yeah, it's got, no. No, it would be three because it's Buffy's 18th birthday. So it's in season three where, like, Buffy's powers are taken away because of some stupid Watcher's Council, like, trial thing that they put Slayers through on their 18th birthday where her powers are subdued by, like, a drug. So she doesn't have any of her powers, and she doesn't know why because they're not allowed to tell her. Anyway, it's this big thing, and she doesn't have any powers, and she's with Cordelia, and Cordelia's sort of, like... She doesn't know why Buffy is suddenly weak, but she just sort of steps it up and like, or maybe it's not that, whatever. Anyway, there are times where Cordelia has to like pull her shit together and like war with demons and vampires and all that shit. And she does it with her words every time, you know, because she doesn't actually have any fighting abilities or anything like that. But she manages to intimidate the creatures of the night throughout the show by just like being her sassy self and having like this bravado that is larger than life. And she, I mean, she can take care of herself. So I guess it was fun to see Cordelia in this episode. She does a terribly sung version of Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All, which I guess was written by someone else, um, but it's the popular version of it is Whitney Houston. Um, anyway, uh, so that's really all you see Cordelia is just she's she's obsessed with her order in the talent show. Like she doesn't want to follow like a rock band because she's like dude, I'm doing a sappy song and I can't follow that. And that's totally right. You know, like she's totally right in that moment. And then Giles makes a comment about her hair and she runs off and, you know, it's just everyone's cruel to Cordelia. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm just trying to think what else can I say about this episode? I think I will segue into the minute and then I'll come back with my ratings. So, um, yeah, let's just get into it. Hello, vampires and slayers. It's time again for the mm minute. Mm minute. It's a little shorter of an mm, mm. today because it's just. It's just mm, me. Michael and mm, mm. me. <laughs> Mixtures. <laughs> okay, so we just watched The Puppet Show, which is the. Ninth episode Ninth? of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? I thought it was a pretty good episode. Because it's like, you're like, oh, it's this guy. No, it's, no, it's this. It's just like, it has you guessing the whole time. It's classic it's horror really misdirection. Yeah, misdirection. Um... So, Were you scared of the dummy? Mm, dummies are creepy, yeah. Did you think it was With, him? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're supposed to. Yeah. I mean, Joss did a very good job at misdirecting. You said something about, oh, they're being so obvious. Yeah, yeah. And the, well, before the, before the credits even, you know, the demon that attacks the should have been dancer, clue. Emily... I will be Flash. <laughs> so, what's your favorite outfit? Uh, the the velvet leopard dress and the, the pleather jacket, mm -hmm. and the, the boots. Boots. Buffy was wearing. 
totally that dress. Hot. So and the buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, which is the best Buffy podcast that exists. They were talking about how you couldn't even sit down in that dress because it's that short. <laughs> yeah. You would have to wear just, like shorts under that dress. Yeah, I don't understand how girls wear short skirts that short. You know that like exposes your butt cheeks, so your butt cheeks are just touching whatever surface you sit on. Mm. I, mean, that's, I, I can't. That's I can't deal me. personally, just sensory wise, with skirts that short. Hmm. I have to wear shorts under it. Yeah. It is good. Luna didn't like it. Mm-mm. Luna's sh- mm. slut shaming Buffy oh, right now. That's not good. <laughs> um, okay, so what's your coveted object of the episode? Uh, Sid. Sid? <laughs> you want the dummy? Yeah, I would put him right up there. In our so house. See him as soon as you walk no, in the door. That would not be allowed. <laughs> not be allowed. Sid's eyebrows. You already, there. <laughs> you already have those eyebrows. Those are your eyebrows. Uh, um, I don't know. The brain, the the Jello brain, the brain that was so jiggly. That's where it was a Jello mold. Probably was. It's probably like strawberry Jello. Yeah, something. Um, strawberry. I don't know. There wasn't really a no. All right. Um. Okay, so we did coveted object, um, outfit. Now, quote. Uh, when uh, Principal Snyder is uh, talking to Giles, and he's saying, like, kids don't need... What does he say? I've got to queue it up. Does today need discipline? It's not popular word these days, discipline. I don't know. No, Principal Foley would have said kids need understanding. Kids are human beings. It's the kind of worry heavy liberal thinking that leads to being English. I hope you could hear all that. <laughs> Probably could. If not, if you couldn't hear it, Principal Snyder just said, um, was talking... Kids need understanding. Well, that's the kind of woolly-headed liberalness that... Liberal thinking liberal. that gets... That leads to being eaten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... If, if you couldn't hear it, I will tack it on at the end of the episode. Kids need discipline. So this is the introduction of Principal Snyder. I should say that. I have a little story on Buffering the Vampire Slayer, the best Buffy podcast ever. Stop listening to this one now and start listening to that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did an interview with Armin Shimmerman, who plays Principal Snyder, and... Um, they are a spoiler-free Buffy podcast, and so they only talked about, like, his general experience working on the show yeah. and this episode in particular. And he said that the first scene where he meets Buffy, he all of his, like, disdain for her was real because he said he used to be a big snob and all he had heard about Sarah Michelle Gellar was that she was 19 and that she used to work on a soap opera. So he came into this whole thing thinking that she was going to be awful to work with. Yeah. And, like, they sort of based the character of Principal Snyder around the disdain that he was displaying for her in the beginning. Well, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but he admitted it, and he said that, like, when he realized that she was... 
He said she was one of the most hardworking actresses he'd ever worked with. He thought with. she was going to be unprofessional and it was going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, because she's 19 and used yeah. to work on a soap opera. Yeah. But um, he said he one day like went to her trailer and they had never really talked beyond just the scenes that they were in. So she was really surprised to see him when he visited her in her trailer. Yeah. And he just told her, I'm really sorry. This is what I thought of you when I first started working here. But I was completely wrong. And now they're friends. So that was a good story. Yeah. <laughs> so they, um, And then he said the other thing that... Because they were planning to just, like, have a whole series of principles in the show, I guess. And they were just going to get killed off every, you know, half season. That would season. be kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but they decided to keep Principal Snyder around because, um, I guess, he was just so good. And he said the other thing he thinks that made him, made them want to keep him around was that, that scene where he was walking down the staircase at the end. Like, apparently there was a shot, and it didn't look like it was actually in the episode, but he said when they were, like, watching through the dailies or whatever, there was a shot of, like, his shadow as he was walking down that stairway made him look exactly like Nosferatu because of his ears. Yeah, he does kind of look like <laughs> Nosferatu. He definitely looks like an evil demon. So it was, like, like, totally unintentional, and apparently you were supposed to think that it was possibly Principal Snyder. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you when you know he was down in the dressing room, backstage. Yeah, you I know, didn't, you saw a shot of him. I never thought it was him, but I guess it was probably because I didn't actually see the season until yeah. I had already seen some of season three, so I knew he was still around. Yeah. So, what do you think of Principal Snyder in general? Um, I would hate to have him as a principal. But um, as a character in a show, I think he's good, specifically for this show, because Buffy kind of needs that thorn, you know? He's fucking hilarious. He represents the man. He is so hilarious. He's also hilarious, yeah. I really um, enjoyed all the scenes in this episode of them hanging out in the auditorium. Just like the but way... But that the, wouldn't happen. You wouldn't actually, you know, for a talent show. I know. But I liked that, that, like, you know, all of their, like, research and stuff, even though I love that it's usually in the library, it was kind of fun that it was in the auditorium this time. Yeah. Gave me flashbacks of, like, you know, band and stuff. And the way that they had to position them in the seats, like, not ways that anyone would ever sit. Like, there was one shot where, like, Giles was in one row and then Buffy was sitting right next to him and then, like, Xander was behind yeah. a seat over and then Willow, Willow was behind thing. another seat over like they were in three or four separate rows but that's how they had to make the shot work he would actually sit like that in an auditorium I mean you might sit behind a friend but not in like three separate rows one yeah. person per row Yeah, but it looked cool yeah. it was a good shot yeah Okay, so we got quote, outfit, object. You mm-hmm. didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is your five by five rating then? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for that? Do you have any more thoughts before you get to that? Um, well, I thought the scene at the end was really funny with um, when they were all doing their... Oh, life. they were doing their Oedipus. Yeah, and... Well, it just takes Rex. off and 
then they closed the gap. And <laughs> the funniest part was when Buffy put her hand up on the staff. <laughs> she was just... It was just that one little movement. <laughs> well, she was supposed to be the mother, I think. Was were... that symbolic? P- put her hand, the mother put her hand upon Oedipus's staff? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the um, the first time this episode aired, that part played, but in all se- subsequent, like, re-whatever, reruns? Yeah. Forgot the word rerun. They took it out because the network didn't like that. That she put his hand she put her No, hand I they didn't like the scene, I guess, because it was like because of I guess, you know, incest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, I don't like that Shakespeare crap. It's like, um, not Shakespeare. It was like I don't remember who it was, but not Shakespeare. Oedipus Rex is not Shakespeare. So I'm glad it's in the DVD because that part is funny. That is like the one and only time I think they ever have a scene during the credits of Buffy. So you just saw it. It's a special moment. It was special. Did I'm it glad feel special? They, I'm glad they did. Yes. I'm glad they did it. Um, so quality, I give this episode a five. Okay. I think it was it's a good episode. It uh, keeps you, you're like, what's going on? You know? The classic horror. Yeah. But done well, you know, because you don't know who done it. Mm-hmm. And um, clarity of message. What is the message here? I don't know what the message is. Hmm. So how how is this a metaphor for actual high school? Well, did we ever... A kid misdirecting his... No? Just uh, just being in a talent show. If you ever had to do anything on stage in front of the school. That's horror. This is, yeah. <laughs> I think it ampl- it, it intensified the, the feeling of horror that you had. Because, you, you know, you, if you've ever been on stage in front of a crowd of people. Mm. You know, that's pretty horrifying. Yes, that's it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know about clarity of message because I don't know what it's supposed to be telling us about high school. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna give it a four. Okay. So. So it gets a twenty. Yeah, because I'm gonna give this episode a good rating okay. because I thought it was a good, strong introduction for Snyder. You know who he is. You know where he's coming from. Yeah. Good Snyder introduction. Yeah. Um. Feel bad for that Morgan kid, you know. I know. But I mean, he was gonna. He had cancer. He was gonna. Anyway. He had brain cancer anyway, so he, he's probably gonna die anyway, and it's probably gonna be painful and long and drawn out. So, so maybe many just people die in this series. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did they do with the demon body? Because they immediately started. They still started the fucking talent show <laughs> after all that bullshit. The show must go on. I don't get it. <laughs> what is it, avant garde? <laughs> <laughs> That was a good scene. Yeah. Okay. How are we gonna end this? Um. Yeah. I. Uh, I guess we should. I don't have any. I mean, you know, I'm boring, so I don't really Never. have thoughts about things. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh. So ending. Gerd arg. This has been Ending. your. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-
All right, now that you've heard the minute, I wasn't able to um, have my mom in this particular episode, unfortunately, because um, we decided to watch Rogue One on Thursday instead of watching The Puppet Show, which was a mistake, in my opinion. <laughs> like, no shade to anyone that likes that movie, which is most of the population, but uh, I have a whole rant about Star Wars. Um, they're just, those movies are just not for me. They're just not. I keep trying to watch them, and, like, I appreciate that they're trying to put girls in their movies, but they're still not for me. Anyway, this podcast has nothing to do with Star Wars, so let's move on. Um, so let's get to my ratings for The Puppet Show. There wasn't really any music in this episode except for Cordelia singing The Greatest Love of All terribly. Um, I read in one of my episode guides that, like, um, Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia... Um, Joss came up to her one day and asked her if she could sing and she said no and he said good <laughs> and she didn't know what that meant until this episode because they wanted her to sing badly so they just had her just you know do her thing I guess I'm sure she played it up a little bit I'm sure she doesn't sing quite as bad as was portrayed by Cordelia in this episode but um yeah that was really the only music in the episode um Let's see. I think I'm going to add a new um, thing to my ratings, which I hadn't thought of whenever I talked to Michael, so I didn't give him the opportunity to make a vote for this. But um, I think I'm going to have, and I may call it something different later, something less boring later. But for now, um, I'm going to call it like most valuable player of the episode. So who wins most valuable player for this episode? I did mention earlier Richard Werner, who plays Morgan, the ventriloquist, um, in the episode. I think he did an amazing job, and he really brought it. But I've got to give the episode to Armin Shimmerman's Principal Snyder, because he was, like I said before, it was the introduction of his character in this episode. All of the good quotes were from, them, from him this episode, and um, I just... I got to give it to him. So his quote um, that Michael cited as his favorite quote, um, I hope you could hear it because we were just like recording it from across the room on the TV, which was a bad idea. And I should have, um, I should have taken a moment to fix it. But um, Michael, when I record with him, he's sort of like um, a deer a little bit. Like you don't want to scare him. So I would, since he wanted to play the actual quote through the TV, I didn't want to take the extra time to make sure that it sounded good because I was afraid he was going to just like run away if we took extra time. So I didn't. <laughs> so next time I will, hopefully you guys could hear it, but it was just, um, we've already talked about it in the minute. So it was, you at least got the gist of it. But um, my favorite quote is also from Principal Snyder. And I'm going to read it from this book because it was actually in, as much as I talk about hating the Complete Slayer book, every once in a while it has useful information. And this time it did. So this is my favorite quote from Principal Snyder, who got most valuable player of the episode. Um, there are things I will not tolerate. Students loitering on campus after school. Horrible murders with hearts being removed and also smoking. So that's my quote of the episode. Um, he really brought it in this whole thing. That shot, oh my God, towards the last like third of the episode, there's this um, point where Principal Snyder like walks down the staircase 
and talks to Buffy. I don't know. They're in some backstage area or something. And, um, the shot of him is like almost completely dark. Like it's just his silhouette and there's light coming from behind him. And Armin Shimmerman's ears are so big that that shot was just fucking hilarious because you just saw his ears glowing and then the dark silhouette of the rest of him. And it was just, I I know he has a sense of humor about his ears, so I'm not making fun of him. I mean, I am, but I know that he would actually be okay with that Um, because my God, you've got to embrace it. If you're an actor and you have ears like that, you have to embrace it. And he did. And that shot is in there. And it is my favorite shot of the episode because <laughs> it's just even thinking about it. It's just so funny. Anyway, so Principal Snyder gets most valuable player of the episode. And he also gets the quote of the episode. Um, the object of affection of this episode, the thing that I would like to pluck out of this episode and make my own, um, there are two things actually, but the one of the things I'm giving for outfit of the episode, so the other one is the one that I'm going to call my object of affection, which is, and I know my mom will appreciate this, so mom, if you have not watched this episode, watch it. It's on Hulu. Do it. We have Hulu, at least for another month. <laughs> um, anyway, Giles is wearing, like he's doing his whole tweed suit business as per usual, but he's wearing like a burnt umber tie and then later when he has his tweed jacket off you see the full glory of the cardigan that he has on which is like burnt umber looking cardigan it is just supreme so that is the thing that I would totally rock that cardigan (laughs) I would wear it all the time if I had it so that is my object of affection for the episode the outfit of the episode and Buffy is wearing this outfit throughout most of the episode. I like it when they do that. I don't know why. It's just like a lot of outfit changes seems odd to me. So I like that. You, um, first of all, Buffy fucking wearing an underwire bra to bed again. Okay, I got it whenever Angel was sleeping in her room with her that she might think that she should keep a bra on when she goes to bed. But the fact that when she goes to bed by herself, she's wearing a fucking bra. I mean, obviously Sarah Michelle Geller had some insecurities about her boobs at this point in her life because she's constantly wearing like an overly padded underwire bra, which is strange. I mean, her boob game definitely goes up as the series moves on. Like she embraces the no bra look several times and is hot. But at this point in the series, I do not understand why she's wearing an underwire bra to bed. That said... The outfit of the episode goes to Buffy again. I I pay more attention to her outfits at this point. Anyway, she's not always my favorite character as far as clothes are concerned. But in this season, she is because everything is just so 90s and I love it. She's wearing another like micro mini dress. Like this dress is so fucking short that if I were wearing it, the bottom of my butt cheeks would be exposed because I have like a low ass. But, um, so it's really short. It's almost like a t-shirt. It's so short, but it's just, um, this nice velvet leopard micro mini dress and she's wearing it with her knee boots. My only criticism is she does not have a choker on. And I really think that would complete the look if she had a choker, but she doesn't have any kind of necklace on, which I find a little odd, but I guess this was 1997. So people were trying to get away from chokers at this point, but it would have looked hot is what I'm saying. 
So um, I really like her leopard print velvet micro mini dress. And I looked up 90s velvet leopard mini dress on Etsy yesterday. And there are options. So I would probably have to spend like 30 bucks. But I could have one of my very own. I could. And it was good. Like it had short sleeves and like a scoop neck. It was, and it was like kind of like a straight line dress. Like it wasn't super tight or anything, which that's what I like about this particular fashion statement that Buffy's going with in this first season is that she's wearing a lot of super short skirts, but most of the time they're like these mini dresses that aren't like super duper tight or anything. They're just like, they look like comfy dresses, you know? I don't know. I just love that look. I love a short skirt and a knee boot. I say that every episode. Like, start taking a shot every time I say it, I guess. Um, and we're, we need to soak it up right now because I don't think we get any of that after the first season. So Buffy's fashion game is on point in the first season, and I love it. And so she gets outfit of the episode again. I should probably start keeping track of everyone that gets outfit of the episode because heavily Buffy at this point. Um, okay, so I did quote object MVP. Um, okay, so it's time for my five by five rating for the episode. I really did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I did bump up, like, I think, like, my actual rating would be more like a three for this episode as far as enjoyability is concerned. But I gave it such a low score on execution of the message that I felt like I needed to bump up the enjoyability because I didn't want the final score of the episode to be like super low because I found it pretty enjoyable and I think it's basically a pretty good episode of Buffy. So I gave it a four for enjoyability and I gave it a two for clarity of message because I don't know what they're trying to say with this episode. Like all of these episodes are supposed to be a metaphor for the things that you naturally deal with in high school and I don't know how this applies because people are scared of talent shows because people are scared of dummies I don't know what this episode's trying to say as far as that is concerned and I mean honestly that particular score shouldn't have as much weight as the enjoyability factor so my five by five rating scheme might be flawed but um I don't know how or if I want to change it so I'm sticking with it for now so my um, enjoyability being a four and my um clarity of message being a two this episode gets an eight which sounds bad <laughs> when of a possible total score of 25 and eight sounds bad but it's really it's not bad. It's a good episode. <laughs> oh, my rating scheme is bad, you guys. I don't know how to fix it. Do you have a way to fix it? Because I like calling it 5x5. Five five, but I feel like this second score of clarity of message shouldn't have as much weight. So how do I fix that? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know how to fix it. So I guess that's it for me. I give it an 8. Michael gave it a 20 because he gave it a 5 and a 4. And um, my mom had an assignment to watch this episode and give me her ratings by Saturday afternoon, but she hasn't done it yet. So I don't know what my mom's ratings are for this episode, but that's all I got, I guess. So thanks for watching. Um, let's exit the hell mouth.
Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Let's exit the hellmouth. Let's just get the fuck out of here, hellhounds. See you next week where we're going to talk about nightmares. An episode where um, you get to see everyone's nightmares, which is so much fun. I love dream sequence episodes. I really do. Um, yeah, so let's let's get out of here. <laughs> da, da. <laughs>